Now, I once read an interesting book. It said that uh, most people lost in the wilds, they, they die of shame. What? Yeah. See, they die of shame. What did I do wrong? How could I have gotten myself into this? And so they sit there and they die. Because they didn't do the one thing which would have saved their lives. And what is that, Charles? Thinking. Hi, everybody. This is Ed Hoffman, and welcome to the main event. Still can't get used to this music, but we're getting closer to who is going to let us use my sticks and stuff I used to use. It's been, what, a month or something of this kind of disco, kind of rock, kind of lounge music. I'm dancing in the studio. All right. You know what? I open up with that clip from the movie The Edge. That should be the opening every week. You know, because uh, people die of shame because they forgot to do the one thing that could save their lives, thinking. And you know what? I'm going to talk about a lot about thinking and what's going on. What's going on today in real estate? What's going on today in the country? I'm going to use some examples of, hey, you know what? Use your brain. Use your brain and look how much farther you get. Look how much uh, logic, more logical this world is. <clears throat> I'm going to teach you all that, all that fun stuff. But first, let me introduce myself. My name is Ed Hoffman, President of Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct mortgage lender based right here in Southern California. Offices all over the area, licensed in California and Arizona. If you're inter- interested in getting involved with any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate, and there are great opportunities out there, Call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. One last time, day or night, area code 855-640-2020. If you want to get in touch with me but you don't want to talk on the phone because uh, you're stealing time from your boss or you're, uh, you're just don't want me to hear your voice until you know that there's actually a glimmer of hope for you, because, you know, we might be standing in the grocery store next to each other in line and I might recognize that voice of yours. Or maybe not. Uh, then go to WCC Loans and uh, go WCCLoans.com. Click on the Loan Center tab and click Apply Now. And you will uh, can put in as much information as you want to give me and tell me how much information you want back from me. You'll hear back from either myself or one of my teammates. And we'll help uh, solve the uh, missing pieces to your uh, real estate financing puzzle. Whether you need to refinance or you want to buy a new house or you want to uh, help your kids buy a house so they can move out of your house. Or you want, you're a senior, you want to get uh, some information on one of them reverse mortgage things. Are those things good things or bad things? They're good things. <clears throat> but I'll, uh, I'll, I'll uh, help uh, clear up any misconceptions or any questions that you have on that. Um, if there's any part of the show you want repeated, you can go to edhoffman.net, click on the podcast page, listen to it on demand, or you can get the podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes. On iTunes, you can uh, subscribe for free. I don't know if you know if, you do, if SoundCloud subscribes or if it's uh, or if it's just listen to it on demand. But either way, either way, whichever way you want to do it, you can do it. iTunes, SoundCloud, edhoffman.net, or listen to me on the radio. Be sure to connect with the show on social media. Follow me on Twitter at Ed Hoffman, where I tweet about current events all week long. Some some weeks more than others. <clears throat> Depends on my mood and uh, what's happening in my life. As to uh, how fired up I am. And uh, like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash the main event Ed Hoffman. 
So uh, you know, let me give you let me give you some examples. I'm trying to put a little bit more real estate into this uh, as the market is getting better. You know, I'll give you a history of my show. I started this show nine and a half years ago, nine years and three months ago, and it started out as a real estate and financing show. And doing a, a new show every week, I'm talking to people. And remember, think about nine and a half years ago, um, beginning of 2008, we were in the heat of the of the mortgage meltdown. People losing their houses, not knowing what to do. I was advising people, hey, you know what? If you're in a situation that you you know you bought a house with stated income, you you're, you know the income is complete fantasy. You can't pay your bills, um, and you know you're going to lose it because. The, there's just not the the values aren't going up anymore, and the concept was on the on the subprimes and the alt a, a loans back then was, hey, you know what? You can you can state your income at any kind of fantasy you want, and your payment's going to be this for two years or three years or five years, depending on the kind of loan. And in two years or three years or five years, you'd have time to fix your credit, get your income up, and meanwhile, the value of the house would be much higher in two years or three years or five years. Well, as the market started to uh, to peak, it became obvious that, hey, what happens if you got 100% financing and two years or three years or five years from now, your value didn't go up? And what if the 100% financing went away? And what if, and what if uh, uh, you didn't fix your credit? And what if your income didn't go up for some reason or another? And now you've got a loan that's gonna, going to start adjusting and those adjustable rates were were brutal and they had you know they had some big changes if you weren't if if you weren't ready depending if if you knew what you were doing when you bought bought a house you could say you know worst case it, it adjusts and blah 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 but some of those loans were just bad and some of those lenders out there weren't explaining anything to, to the borrowers you know two year fix with a three year prepay which means you're screwed at the end of eight, uh, two years because your rate's going to adjust and if you want to get out of it you have to uh, pay a big prepayment charge so there was some brutal stuff there and People were, in my eyes, people needed some guidance. And so I so I started this radio show to help give people guidance. As the market changed, I was changing, hey, you know what, this is what's changing here. Here's what the rules are changing. Here's what's happening. And it became more and more political because as, as the government was changing the rules, as the rules in financing were changing, and I, and I was giving people advice, hey, you know what, if you're going to lose your house, Lose it now. Don't milk it. Don't file bankruptcy and try to milk it to stay in there forever and all that stuff for free. Cut your losses, get rid of it, and in three years you can buy again and the prices will still be low. And a lot of you a lot of you took my advice and you guys are styling because you bought in 2011 and you've got a ton of equity now in your house. Or, hey, if you can afford those houses, don't worry about what they're worth. But if you're if you're in a house that's that's worth two hundred thousand now, you owe four hundred thousand. Rather than walking away or doing a short sale or trying to do a loan modification, you still make the same money. It's still your house. Pay your payments. Pay your payments and dollar cost average. Buy some investment properties for cheap. By the time your house goes from two hundred thousand dollar value back up to four hundred thousand where you're financed, you'll have two or three or four or five or 10 rental houses that you bought for a hundred thousand that are now worth 300,000. And depending on how many you bought, you just put yourself in a, in a big, huge equity position that now you're a millionaire. You know what? All you got to do is have 10 houses with a hundred thousand dollars equity and you're a millionaire. All you got to do is have five houses with $200,000 equity. So it was a easy, easy formula. And the, and the show evolved 
as the as our country evolved to more and more political. And eventually it became that, hey, you know what? I'm spending more time on politics because nothing's really changing in, in the mortgage market. Now things are changing in the mortgage market because things are changing in our economy. So I want to give you guys some more some more things to think about because the thinking is changing now because we're in a we're in a different kind of economy than we were in a than we were in the last eight years because basically we got a guy in the White House that understands how free market capitalism works and for those of you that aren't happy about it sit back and watch you will be you will be if you just keep an open mind and watch hey you know what the Democrats try to say oh you guys are so heartless. Heartless, you know, you got people that are hungry and you won't feed them. Hey, you know what? In free market capitalism, doesn't mean you don't feed them. Just, hey, make them work. We're going to stop giving people free EBT cards and so they can just do nothing and smoke weed and watch uh, Oprah all day and, uh, and go to the grocery store and swipe the card that the taxpayers are paying for their food. Instead, we're going to say, hey, here's a job. Go to work. Those people are going to say, oh, man, this really is terrible. I have to go to work now. Guess what? They don't even realize how much more fun they're going to have in their life. They're not going to don't realize how much happier they're going to be. They're still going to have they're still going to have their uh, their money to buy food. They're still except for they just don't get to sleep in and smoke weed all day. They get to go to work and interact with humans and actually do something productive with their day and feel good about it. And if they work a little harder, they may, they get raises and promotions. Okay, so that's what's happening. So, so let me let me uh, keep that in perspective now. So, I want to give you I want to give you a, a story maybe each week, but I want to give you an idea. I have a I have a lady who called me uh, a week week and a half ago, and she's uh, she said, hey, you know, a friend of yours referred me to you, and she's in a situation where uh, she owes three hundred thousand on her house, and her house is worth about six hundred thousand, and but she doesn't have any income. Her and her mom own the house. And mom is, she doesn't have any income and uh, doesn't have any, have any potential outlook on when her income is going to come back. And mom is on the, she, their mom's on the loan. They're both on title and mom is 90. Mom is 90. She's 60 and she's, she has a, uh, a 10 year fixed loan that's going to start adjusting in a year and a half. So she's concerned because she, she knows she doesn't have any income and she wants to be able to qualify. <clears throat> As we're talking, I'm talking to her about, okay, what's your plan? What's your plan here? You know, uh, you live out in the, in the, in the Valley. What is your plan? You don't, you know that. And, and I'm talking to her about reverse mortgage and I'm talking to her about regular mortgage. And I'm talking to her about this, about that. And you know, what's your plan? Because, um, the, their their plan was that mom gets a little bit of social security and she's got an annuity with 125,000 bucks in it and she's going to start drawing on it drawing on it and use that for for income and some other lender told her hey just start drawing money on it we can use it after one month it really needs to be uh, three months and um and then we can get the loan done and this is what it's going to cost so i'm not talking to her about cost i'm saying what's your plan you could do a reverse mortgage and we could fix this and there's no payments. Problem is, the problem is, number one, for her to for her to qualify, we're gonna have to draw enough money out of her, out of mom's annuity that it's gonna be gone in 57 months. So five years, just a little under five years. Mom's 90, so if we do a reverse mortgage, we don't have to draw out of her annuity. But when mom dies, which she's 90, so it may be maybe two months and it might be 10 years, but it's probably gonna be somewhere in between there. It's not going to be, it's not going to be 
20 years from now or 30 years from now, it's going to be inevitable in the next few years. Then she has a year to, to decide what she wants to do, whether to refinance that house with no income or to, or to sell it and pay it off that way. <clears throat> so I try to, uh, talk to her and then she's going, well, this other lender said, she goes, what's the cost going to be? I was, it's going to be about $4,000. $4,000. Well, how come this guy said it would be this? And I said, you know what? I haven't pulled your credit. I haven't looked at any of this stuff. I'm not talking to you about that because all that stuff is immaterial. Your plan is what is this person going to do? Because we need to have a plan that lasts longer than till we close the loan. We have to have a plan. Of how are you going to keep to make this payment? If mom dies, your money, go, the, the income come, goes away. And even if she stays alive, the money that's coming that's coming into mom that qualifies goes away. And if we do a reverse mortgage where we don't have to do have any payments, that comes to an end too because you can't be because unless you're a, a a spouse, you have to move out. You have you have a sixty you have a um, two six month period. So you got twelve months. You got twelve months to either uh, sell it or refinance it. But the loan has to be paid off within a year after the uh, the borrower dies. And she's going, yeah, but this said, I said, wait, 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 wait. This has nothing to do with anything. You keep talking to me about fees. If you want to just talk to me about fees, if you want to grind me that my fees are, are $500 higher than the other guy, then just go with him. I said, I'm talking to you about what's the best thing for you. Let's talk about what plan works best for you for today and what plan works best for you for two years from now and five years from now because you you're where you are. The the end result came out to, hey, do you really need to stay there? Because, you know, and she's talking about how, and we actually started getting into politics and she started talking about how, well, you know, I guess Trump is good if you're rich. And I go, wait, listen, you've got a $600,000 house that you only owe 300,000 on. Where did that money come from? Well, the market increased it. Well, the market increased it she goes, well, we, you know, we bought it five years ago. Okay. Well, you got some, some market appreciation. Where did the down payment come from when you bought it five years ago? Where did that come from? I mean, originally the down payment came from somewhere and it came from, from her house or from, it was originally generated by her. You've got $300,000 worth of equity. You could sell your house, go, go rent. And you got $300,000 in the bank. Now, do you feel like you're the poor person and all that? No, you're, you've got more money than most people have in their bank account. Or you could sell it and take that, take that and move to a less expensive area and buy a house with a reverse mortgage, which in 17 months, she'll be 62 eligible for a reverse mortgage. And in reality, the loan that they have isn't going to adjust until September of 2018 and, the, and she'll be 62 in July of 2018. So I said, in, re, in reality, you don't have to do anything. She goes, well, I'm worried about if something happens to my mom and the, and then the, the loan adjusts. Well, you don't have to worry about that because it's not going to adjust till September. And in July next year, you'll be 62. You do reverse mortgage, which to me is her only, is her only realistic long-term, long-term, uh, uh, choice because she doesn't have any income. She'll have at 62, she can start drawing social security and she'll have something, but she, at least she won't have any, uh, any mortgage to worry about and she can get roommates. So anyway, the key, the, the point I'm trying to make is that you need to think, you need to think, and I'll give you some stories like this everywhere because this goes on every day in the mortgage business every day. Hey, stop worrying about what's going to happen with your house that you made an offer on because the appraisal came in low and you know, you all of a sudden you got emotionally attached to that thing. 
step back and think. Think about what's going on. And I'll, and I'll teach you this along the way. So, because this is how the world works. This is how the world works. And if you don't stop to think about what's going on, you're going to miss it. And you know the difference between rich people and poor people? The difference between wealthy people and the people in the middle class, the difference between the middle class and the and the broke people is just one little thing. It's the way you think. And I'm going to try and help you with that. Hey, I got I got something on uh, Facebook or or Twitter or something where somebody doesn't think I think right on something I said about illegal immigrants. Hey, guess what? It's what I think. And you're wrong. I'm right. Okay, <clears throat> so that's how it is. So anyway, uh, let's let's go on with some stuff that's going on this week, and I'll tell you how to think. Let's first talk about Obamacare, the repeal, and the travel ban. Well, let's talk about on, on Monday, the Republican-controlled House unveiled its long-awaited replacement for the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare. Uh, here are the key points on the proposed Obamacare replacement bill. Number one, it's called the AHCA, American Health Care Act. It would replace the federal insurance subsidies with a new form of individual tax credits, and it would grant states permission to shape their own health insurance policies. Number one, why do we have to have subsidies from the government for health care? I don't think that's necessary. Uh, it would no longer penalize Americans for failing to have health insurance. Instead, it would try to encourage people to maintain coverage by allowing insurers to impose a surcharge of 30% to those who drop coverage. Mm, I don't know that that's, imp that, that's uh, needed. It would preserve two of the most popular features of Obamacare. Number one, letting young adults stay on their health, parents' health care plans until 26. Why? Kids should be working by age 26. And you know what? When I went to college, they had college, uh, college uh, health care plans too. If you're a student, at, I was at Cal State Long Beach. Um, if you're a student there, you paid a little bit and you got a, a group plan for college students. So if you're still in college at age 26, then you still have your 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 plan through that. And it and the other thing it kept was forbidding insurers to not to deny coverage or charge more to people with pre-existing medical conditions. That one little thing there, forbidding insurers to deny coverage or charge more to people with pre-existing medical conditions, takes away the whole concept of insurance. I'll talk, talk, talk more about that in a couple minutes. It would, it would target Planned Parenthood for defunding and making the organization ineligible for Medicaid reimbursements or, or federal family planning grants. So, you know what? What I, what I, what I don't understand is this is, this is a number one. They started, they, uh, um, Paul Ryan said they've been working on this for three years. There's 20 people in Congress. There's uh, seven people in the House of Representatives, 17 people in the House of Representatives, and three senators that are medical doctors, that are physicians. Why don't you grab all those people and get them together and let's have a conversation about what makes sense here? Let's put a few business people in there, people that have insurance, insurance experience, and let's talk about what we had before Obamacare. Let's talk about what we were trying to accomplish. And I don't think the government needs to control health care. Some of the Republicans aren't very enthusiastic about the replacement bill, most notably uh, Senator Rand Paul, who's been on TV since last week calling it Obamacare light. Here's him explaining why. Well, it keeps the Obamacare taxes, all of them, for a year, and then it keeps the Cadillac tax forever. These are key provisions of Obamacare, and I don't think that that's a good idea. It also keeps the Obamacare subsidies, but it renames them refundable tax credits. Believe it or not, it also keeps the individual mandate. Instead of paying the government a penalty, you'll have to pay the insurance company a penalty. I predict that that would actually be unconstitutional and may drag the whole thing down. 
I I have to agree with Rand Paul. He's a he's a physician. He's a medical doctor. I think he's an eye doctor. Um, and I have to agree. The for those of you who don't know the the uh, the uh, Obamacare the Obamacare tax. If you don't buy insurance, you get this form in the mail from your employer. Now, if you don't if you're not covered by an insurance plan. Um, and you don't have that. There's a, a tax penalty that you pay when you file your taxes. The Cadillac tax refers to a 40% tax that hasn't gone into effect yet, but it's part of Obamacare um, that says anybody who anybody who has a uh, a plan that's costs more than $10,200 per year for an individual or $27,500 for a family, the employer has to pay a 40% tax penalty. So let's see if we're not buying a good enough plan, if we're not paying enough towards our employees, then it, we got to pay 40% more to the government. Okay. So a little bit too much government overreach there. So on Thursday, speaker Paul Ryan went into cell mode with a PowerPoint presentation on the bill to reporters. And he concluded with this. We as Republicans have been waiting seven years to do this. We as Republicans who fought the creation of this law and accurately predicted that it would not work, ran for office in 2010, in 2012, in 2014, and in 2016 on a promise that we would, if given the ability, we would repeal and replace this law. How many people running for Congress and the Senate did you hear say that? How many times did you hear President Donald Trump, when he was candidate Donald Trump, say that? This is the closest we will ever get to repealing and replacing Obamacare. The time is here. The time is now. This is the moment. And this is the closest this will ever happen. It really comes down to a binary choice. We now have the ability, through the budget rules that we have in the Senate, with our three-pronged approach, to actually make good on our word. We told people in 2016 what it would look like when we had the chance to replace Obamacare. That was our better way plan. That's what this is. So we said in 2016 to our citizens, to the American people, to our constituents, if you give us this chance, this opportunity, this is what we'll do. Now is our chance and our opportunity to do it. Yeah, now is a chance and opportunity to do it. But I would, uh, I would caution Speaker Paul Ryan that there's not only one way to do it. And, you know, if you if you watched him on TV, if you had a chance to, I saw a little bit of it before I went to work and a little bit of it after work on the replay. He's doing a PowerPoint. He's basically laying out all the details as to why Obamacare uh, can't survive going into the future. The The prices are going up. The 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 insurers are are pulling out of states so that in some states they don't have any choice of of what insurance uh, plan they get because the insurance companies and I'll explain this more I think I'm gonna have to do it after the break because I'm almost out of time for part one um, but the insurers are are backing out because the math doesn't make sense because they didn't think out how people think they didn't they didn't think about hey what is if we do this how are people gonna react. If if we create these these uh, if we create these rules for the insurance companies, how much is this going to cost? And does this really make sense? Are we trying to are we trying to control everybody's life too much? You know, it's when it comes down when it comes down to a mortgage, is it all about just what the rate and the and the fee is, or does it come down to 
what do I really need? You know, when you call a mortgage guy, hey, you know, how much is your rate and what are your costs? Okay, well, you know, if that's all you're concerned with, then uh, here's my rate, here's my cost. But the biggest deal is you're doing a, you're trying to fix your finances. Let's try to to decide what the best plan is for you. Think about what what is. I have a I have a borrower that says, hey, we want to do a uh, we want to do a uh, we're buying a house in in uh, Prescott, Arizona, and we're going to buy it as a 1031 exchange, which means they sold a rental house. They're going to buy a rental house, but eventually want to live there. Hey, that makes a difference in in the plan on how I advise them because because you know the fact that you want to live there means it's not just a temporary investment that you might sell at some point or, or in, in, it means that, hey, eventually we're going to retire there. We're going to go live there full time at that point. Okay. So it changed the whole scenario as to what and what she goes, well, I'm talking to this other lender. He's saying this. Well, it's not about it. Let's talk about what your life plan is so you don't have to do this again unless it makes sense for you because positive things go. Hey, anyway, I'm out of time for part one of the main event. I'm going to talk about the the details of this healthcare plan when we come back. So don't go away. Five minutes of uh, weather and traffic and some commercials. I'll be right back with part two. And welcome back to part two of the main event. My name is Ed Hoffman, president of Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct mortgage lender. I did talk about mortgages this week, and I probably will going forward a little bit each week, but, you know, and do some real estate, some common sense for you. Uh, but, you know, if you, if, you need, if you need some help in financing, you're helping some real estate, investing, real estate, anything related to that, call me toll-free at 855-640-2020 or go to our website, wccloans.com. So we've been talking about, getting back to what we've been talking about before the break, we've been talking about the replacement, the repeal and replacement of Obamacare. And let me talk to you about the way that we should be thinking about this. The issues that I see with the replacement, and this is one thing I hope the I hope the Republicans don't screw it up and try to go fast and not do it right. Because quite frankly, before Obamacare came, I think we had, I don't know, 30 million people in this country that didn't have insurance, which is about 10% of our country. And today we have about 30 million people without coverage. The only thing we did was we played musical chairs. Now some people that didn't have it and maybe they didn't want it, but they have it now, whether they want it or not. And some other people don't have it because for some other reasons. Okay. So we did, we did a little, and you know what? And the fact that we got everybody insurance doesn't mean anything about healthcare because they, they made the, the healthcare industry so bad. There's so much red tape that you can't get prescriptions. You can't get appointments. You can't, there's so much stuff that you, that as you're not, you didn't get healthcare, you got health insurance and there's a big difference and whether it covers anything, you know, in the insurance business, I used to tell people, Hey, you know what? Premiums are a for sure. Claims are a maybe make sure those for sures make sense with what you're doing. And the maybes are are safe. Hey, you want to make sure that you're dealing with an insurance company that's going to pay your claim. But the details at the end, maybe maybe they happen, maybe they don't. So let me so let me talk to you about the couple of issues that I see with with uh, the American Healthcare. What do they call it? American Healthcare Act. <clears throat> Number one, the, one of the reasons they one of the problems they had with Obamacare was they they mandated everything that needed to go into that plan. Okay, does it have to cover uh, maternity? Yes. Does it have to cover uh, drug abuse? Yes. Does it have to cover mental health? Health? Yes. Does it have to cover uh, whatever else? And yes, yes, yes. All these plans have to have this. Well, guess what? 
I'm a man. I don't need maternity. I don't need, I don't need prenatal and all that stuff. I don't need, I'm never going to have a baby. And guess what? Me and Don, my wife is, my wife is a woman, but she's not having any more babies. We're done. We don't need that in our healthcare plan, but everything that the government makes the insurance company put in it, they have to charge for because this stuff costs money. Okay. And guess what? If, if somebody that said they didn't need a, didn't need a uh, coverage for pregnancy accidentally got pregnant, guess what? They'll deal with it. That's their deal. Okay. Um, I can afford, I can afford to do my doctor's appointments. You know, the, the, the coverage that it costs, you know, when you go to a doctor, when you go to the doctor and it costs you $50 or a hundred dollars to go see the doctor for him to say, Oh yeah, you've got a, you've got a cold. I'm going to give you some, uh, antibiotics. Here's your prescription. Now get out of here. Get out of here. You bother me. You know, just get out. Um, take that to the pharmacy and get on with your life. Um, you know, you got the sniffles, pick up some, some Kleenex to wipe your nose too. Um, you know what? That little, that little $50 appointment that only cost you five cost a whole bunch of money to the insurance company because every time you walk in, there's a bill that goes to the insurance company. Now, a lot of that stuff gets written off because of contracts that they did, but you know what? It costs money to do that. I just as soon save myself a hundred dollars a month. I mean, uh, um, the plan that, that Don and I have cost, cost, uh, almost $2,000 a month. I just as soon save $500 a month or a thousand dollars a month, or even if it's $200 a month, because I go to the doctor about two or three times a year, I can afford to pay that. So if it costs me two, $300 in doctor's visits and $300 for my wife, and it saves me $500 a month, Let's see that $600 a year I have to pay out in doctor visits, but it saves me 3000. I don't know. What is it? What makes sense for you? You know, if, if you don't, if you don't deal with drugs and, and drug addiction and you don't want to have cut, have recovered for that, you don't need it. Okay. But the government says we have to have it. You know, if you want to have uh, for whatever else there is, there used to be plans that were called catastrophic plans that you could say, I'm not covered for doctor visits. I have to pay for my own doctor visits. I have to pay for my own prescriptions, or maybe they covered prescriptions. But if anything catastrophic, where I have to go in the hospital, if I'm in an accident, if I get cancer, if I get heart disease, whatever, that's covered. And those plans were cheap. Okay. They haven't figured that out that we don't, that the government got involved. They had to mandate that we don't need to do that. The insurance companies created products that, that let, let you decide what was important for you. Okay, so there's they still haven't taken that concept out of it. Now let me tell you the, the next concept, which is the most important thing, and it's called about pre-existing conditions. If you when you buy insurance, let's talk about life insurance. When you buy life insurance, you're betting with the insurance company, I bet you I'm gonna die, and they say we bet we bet you're gonna live. And then you spend the rest of your life trying to lose that bet. When you buy health insurance, you say, Hey, I bet you I'm gonna get sick and have a bunch of doctor bills, and the insurance company says, We bet you're not. And then you spend the rest of your time hoping to never win that bet. When you buy car insurance, you say, I bet you I'm going to get in a car accident. And the insurance company says, we bet you're not. And then you pay them their, your premiums and you spend the rest of your time trying to lose that bet because you don't want to get in a car accident. You don't want to get sick and you certainly don't want to die. Okay. If you don't have the pre-existing, the pre, and the reason that you buy insurance is because what happened? What if? You say, you know, for, for a hundred dollars a month or $50 a month, I can buy life insurance. And if something happens to me, you know, my wife gets $500,000. She'll make sure that our kids are taken care of. 
should be able to pay off the house, be able to do this, be able to do that, you know, and take care of the kids. Now our kids are grown. I don't even really need it anymore. But you guys that have young kids, you need that. You got a lot of debt. You need that. Okay. But you bet, say for $50 a month, if something does happen, my family's taken care of. For $1,000 a month, if I have to go to the doctor, it's covered. Guess what? It doesn't cost that much to go to the doctor. Okay, for $150 a month, if I smash my car into somebody and I kill them, kill them or kill my car or kill or or just smash into a building or something, you're covered. Okay, you pay a little bit just in case that one thing happens. If we take away the pre-existing conditions concept, then why would you buy insurance? Because you don't need it because all you got to do is, well, I'm sick. I'm going to go buy insurance now. And that's how people think. Well, if there's no pre-existing condition thing, then, and the insurance companies say, and here's how the insurance company goes, hey, we're going to collect premiums from all these people. I'm collecting, they're collecting $100 a month from, from 200 million people. That's uh, what, uh, a trillion, $2 trillion or something. And 100 people out of those two, uh, those 2 million people are going to die and they're going to pay claims on it. So they, they're bringing in, I'm just going to use, they're bringing in $2 billion. They're going to pay out $5 million in claims. They're going to pay all their overhead. They're going to pay their, their employees and all that stuff. And there's a profit in there for them. And they use actuarial tables so that they're making a certain amount of profit and they're still being able to provide that insurance and they're still liquid enough to pay, pay it if, there's a, if, there's, if the, a plane flies into the World Trade Center and 3,000 people die at one time and one insurance company has to pay it. You're covered. Okay, guess what? If you take away that pre-existing condition, why would you buy life insurance until you die? Oh, by the way, my husband just died. I need to get some life insurance on him because he just died or he's about to die. Okay. Oh, I smashed my car today. I better go get some uh, car insurance. I'll pay them $100 because the repair bill is $5,000. Wake up, everybody. This is how insurance works. We can't mandate the insurance. And that's why the insurance companies are pulling out. They're going, we're not pulling in enough premiums to cover all the, all the claims. This is why government mandate, you know, let's get, go back to where the insurance companies create the, the products that make sense for them. And they do their deals with the doctors. And then we buy the policies that are right for us. And guess what? Well, there's still 30 million people that are uncovered. I don't have a problem with creating a, uh, a, uh, a fair plan. You know, if you live in the foothills of San Bernardino where it's fire hazard, there's something called California fair plan because no insurance companies want to insure you there because the fire hazard there. So they, you pay into something called California fair plan. And this policy goes to farmers and this one goes to state farm. This one goes to mercury and this one goes to whoever. And, and they all take a share of it and it spreads it out. That's how insurance works. I don't have a problem with us. Hey, let's let's mandate we spend X amount of billion dollars a year on just covering that fair plan thing to subsidize that for people who can't get it that need it. They're covered. So you don't have somebody dying dying because they can't afford to get a get a operation that any insurance policy would have covered and they couldn't get it because they don't have a job or they don't have this or they don't have that. Let's cover those people. Kind of like Medi-Cal in California has. Okay? Let's do that. We don't have to change everybody in the world. We don't have to change everybody who's happy with their health plan, their health plan. That's where this thing's going wrong. Okay? So that's my thought on insurance. So keep that, keep that in mind. Think about how this thing works. 
They're not getting it right. They got the right idea that, hey, we need to change this. Obamacare, whoever created Obamacare had their heads up their butts and they're and they didn't they didn't know how, how they didn't they didn't think about how people would react. And now we're dealing with the the with the uh the, we don't have we're dealing with the the repercussions. Now let's say we don't have to control health care. We don't have to control it. Let the doctors make money. You know what uh one of my uh my orthopedic doctor that uh uh, has operated every time I break something uh, at uh, at the sports center in Riverside. He says, "Here's how here's how you do it. Medical medical school is free. After you get out of medical school, you work at the county hospital for six eight years. You get and you get some some uh, some salary that is not very much to pay for your school. Okay, so that gets rid of the student loan issue. That gets rid of the and that and now you've got uh, the county hospitals, which are not great." But you get to go get taken care of with medical students who are actually doctors, but they're they're learning. That's who you get after they serve in their eight years or their six years or however long. Then they go. Then they can go on private practice and make some big money. But they had to pay back for the free uh, medical that gets doctors in there, and that's that pays it back, and that takes care of the the underprivileged. That's his plan. There's a whole bunch of other ideas, but let's come up with something that makes sense where we don't have the taxpayers paying so people can go sit in the emergency rooms and get a, uh, uh, Hey, you know what? Uh, here's what you need. A Kleenex. Okay. Go blow your nose and, uh, call us if, if anything else happens. So that's my, that's how I think. That's how I think that's how it should be. Okay. Cause everybody's entitled to their opinion and everybody's entitled to mine. So let's uh, see. I got a, I got a little bit of time left to cover a whole bunch more pages and pages of stuff. So also on Monday, besides the uh, repeal and replacement, president Trump signed a new executive order that replaces the travel ban from January. Here are the key changes to that. The new order continued to impose 90 day ban on travelers, but it removed Iraq from the list. So now there's six countries instead of seven removing Iraq was requested by uh, defense secretary, James Mattis. And as I I understand it. Also, uh, uh, the Homeland Security, uh, John uh, Kelly and uh, somebody else was also involved in that. And they asked to, they asked to do it to uh, for uh, because of what's going on between Iraq and, and America trying to get rid of ISIS. Um, it exempts permanent resident aliens, permanent residents and current visa holders. Okay, it drops language offering preferential status to, per, to persecuted religious minorities because it has been interpreted as favoring other religious groups over Muslims. Why? Muslims are the problem. All those persecuted uh, Christians and Jews and, and Hindus and Buddhists in other countries, they're trying to get away from the Muslims. Why, do, why is that a problem to give them a preferential treatment? The Muslims are the problem. Okay. It reverses the indefinite ban on refugees from Syria, replacing it with a 120-day freeze that requires review and renewal. Okay, that's a start. Okay, After the order was signed by the White House, uh, the White House organized an unusual press conference for three cabinet members, Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, Attorney General Jeff Sessions, and Homeland Security Secretary John Kelly. They took no questions, but each one gave a statement. Here's Rex Tillerson. The executive order signed by the president earlier today protecting the nation from foreign terrorist entry into the United States is a vital measure for strengthening our national security. President Trump is exercising his rightful authority to keep our people safe. I agree 100%. Okay, here's uh, Homeland Security Secretary John Kelly. Unvetted travel is not a universal privilege, especially when national security is at stake. 
Duh. How come so many people don't understand that? And finally, here's cabinet member that all the Democrats were demanding resignation from last week, Jeff Sessions. The United States has a right to control who enters our country and to keep out those who would do us harm. I don't know why this is so hard for anybody to understand. Why is this? Why is everybody? Oh, we're going to we're going to stop people from from coming in and hey, not stopping people from coming in. We're just stopping people that are suspect. You know what? We don't we don't know who these people are. Why? Why is that so hard for anybody to understand? Hey, if it's your mother, if hey, I'm you know, I'm a, I'm a Middle Eastern and my mom lived in uh, in uh, my in my Persian mother wants to come here and visit. Guess what? All they got to do is veteran. Yeah, this is her mom. Check her. Check her stuff. Make sure that she's OK before she comes in. OK, make sure she's not uh, Malik Tafshin who was coming in to marry uh, Saeed Farouk. And all they had to do is look on social media. They find out this lady's a radical. She's coming in to, to, to change America. She wants to kill some, uh, some infidels. You know, that's all they had to do. Why is this so hard to understand? Okay. So that's, that's my take on that stuff. And I hear that, uh, you know, the, the governor of Hawaii is filing a, filing a, uh, uh, filing a lawsuit. You know what? Get over yourselves, guys. You know what? This is this is about protecting our country. Stop with the anything Trump does. You're gonna you're gonna try to get in the way of. This is why we elected Trump because we wanted some common sense. Protect us from the from the terrorists that wanna that wanna kill us. We don't have to be nice to everybody because everybody out there is not nice. Okay. Let's talk about the Russian obsession. Uh, uh, speaking of Jeff Sessions, Democrats were calling for his head last week when it was revealed that he had spoken to Russian ambassador Sergei Kislyak while he was both senator and a Trump campaign surrogate. Since it worked on what Mike Flynn last month, Democrats thought they could get Jeff Sessions to just resign as well. But here, here are some of the differences between the two cases. Mike Flynn spoke with the ambassador one month after he was named Trump's pick for a national security advisor, while Sessions' conversations happened while he was a sitting senator. Sessions met twice with Kislyak while he was a senator serving on the Senate Armed Forces Committee, which is what people on the Armed Forces Committee do, uh, once in July 2016 and once in September 2016. Flynn's wiretapped conversation with ambassador was right after Obama imposed sanctions on Russia. We know that he talked about the possibility of Trump lifting Obama's sanctions after the inauguration with Sessions. With, uh, no, with, after the inauguration with Sessions, he spoke about the ambassador months before. He had spoke with the ambassador months before, and we have no idea what they talked about. Sessions has said, I've never met with any Russian officials to discuss issues of the campaign. Okay? He was a senator on the Armed Forces Committee. He was doing his job. Part of that is talking to ambassadors from other countries. Flynn intentionally misled Vice President Mike Pence, while Sessions did not. Flynn, it was discovered last week, was a lobbyist for the Turkish government during the campaign. Without Trump's knowledge, Sessions obviously was not. Regardless of all these distinctions, here's Chuck's ta Chuck Todd's over-the-top intro on this week's Meet the Press. Connecting the dots between the Trump campaign and Russia after telling the Senate this. I didn't have, not have communications with the Russians. Attorney General Jeff Sessions concedes he did meet with the Russian ambassador. I have recused myself uh, in the matters uh, that deal with the Trump campaign. The growing evidence of the Trump-Russia connection threatens to consume the opening months of Donald Trump's presidency. 
Isn't that dramatic with that music in the background? Should play some Rocky music behind mine like I did about two months ago when I did that. Well, you know, with the dramatic music behind my voice, it's so much more dramatic. It sounds so much more official. Isn't it amazing? You know, hey, Sessions, Sessions recused himself just because of the optics of it. Hey, you know what? I talked to this guy, blah, blah, blah. If we're going to talk about and I and he was like one of the first supporters of Donald Trump. I'm going to recuse myself from anything having to do with the Trump campaign. From anything having to do with that, whether it's the Russians, whatever, he's recusing himself, saying, saying hey, I'm not going to participate in it myself. I'll let my office of all the all the attorneys at the attorney general office can can deal with this, but I'm going to stay out of it. Okay. What about Loretta Lynch? How come she didn't do the same thing? Wait, they had a 45-minute conversation with Bill Clinton on the tarmac in her private plane um, while the while the CIA was investigating Hillary Clinton. How come she didn't recuse herself from that? How come nobody called for her resignation? I don't know. Is this a is this a double standard? Are we just trying to to throw a throw a, a smoke screens up there to divert attention? I think so. You know, we have no evidence on anything regarding the Russians affecting our our uh, election. You know what? How come, you know what, the Russians hacked, supposedly the Russians hacked, although the the emails that got hacked were released through WikiLeaks. WikiLeaks says they got nothing from the Russians or any other state leaders. They, they got the stuff from individuals or they hacked it themselves. Um, how come we're not talking about why these emails were available to be hacked because somebody was using an unsecure server. Oh, because we don't enforce the law when it comes to Bill and Hillary Clinton. Oh, I forgot because they're above the law. Okay. Apparently not. Okay. So, uh, how come we're not, how come we're not doing anything about that? We don't have any evidence that the Russians affected the, that the Russians or any of these emails affected anybody's, uh, affected the election. And, no one's even talking about, was the stuff on these emails released? Was it altered? Did these people really say that? Did these emails really go out there? All we care about is that the Russians were involved. And Trump keeps saying, hey, I got nothing to do with, the, nothing to do with them. But we have no evidence to, to dispute that. But we have a lot of evidence that there's problems going on in, in with Hillary Clinton, Clinton Foundation, and all the stuff that was going on with her server. But we're not doing anything about that. Why is that? Because the mainstream media and the Democrats are making too much noise. Okay. So uh, in Wednesday, in Wednesday's White House briefing, Sean Spicer told the press what he thinks about this unending obsession of theirs. All of a sudden, the, these stories that keep coming out about the president and his links to Russia, uh, it is it is continued to be the same old, same old played over and over again. The president has made clear he has no interest in Russia. Um, and yet a lot of these stories that come out with respect to that um, are frankly fake. They are a series of fake allegations that at the bottom note, while there's no evidence to substantiate any of this, it's the same unnamed sources, quote unquote, associates that he get, that we get tagged with. It's amazing. The president goes out last week, does this joint session. Um, and then a couple, you know, literally 24 hour stories start getting recycled about, you know, potential issues that come up that literally continue to offer no fact, nothing but the unsubstantiated rumors over and over again. And yet what is ignored is when you have someone like former DNI Clapper go out and literally say, quote, that they did not find any evidence of collusion between the Trump campaign and agents. You have Rubio, Cotton, Nunez, 
all say the same thing, that they've been briefed, that there's nothing. And yet this okay, fake so, narrative. Sorry, I just want to make sure that I'm understanding. Are, are you saying that there is a possibility he is the target of a counterintelligence probe involving Russia? I don't know. The answer, you just connected those two. No, no, no. I, I think what I'm saying is that there is a difference between that narrative and then the narrative that has been perpetuated over and over again. The concern that the president has and why he asked the Senate and House Intelligence Committees to look into this is to get to the bottom of of what may or may not have occurred during the 2016 election. But the interesting, Margaret, is that when you look at every single person that's been briefed, they've all come to the same conclusion, that nothing happened during the 2016 election tying him um, to Russia. And yet, the fake narrative continues over and over and over again. And the idea that it has to, it continues to be recycled without any substance, without any evidence, it needs to stop. Yes, it does need to stop. And then uh, Donald uh, Donald Trump actually tweeted this out on uh, the 4th, which was uh, Monday? Sunday was uh, Sunday. Just out, the same Russian ambassador that met with Jeff Sessions visited the Obama White House 22 times, four times last year alone. How come nobody's saying anything about that? Oh, Obama met with him. He must have had something going on with Russia. What about the open mic? Hey, I'd be a lot more flexible after the election. No, it's amazing. And then everyone's heard about uh, Donald Trump is accusing President Obama having his Trump Tower uh, phones wiretapped during the election. The allegations were made in a series of tweets. Uh, terrible. Just found out that Obama had my wires tapped in Trump Tower just before the victory. Nothing found. This is McCarthyism. Uh, this is Nixon Watergate. Bad or sick guy. He says a whole bunch of stuff. You know, think it sounds crazy? Then listen to the New York Times headline from January 20th, Inauguration Day. Wiretap data used in inquiry of Trump, Trump aides. In its print version, that story was wiretap data was being used to investigate President Trump's associates. But now the online version of the story has entirely different headline. Intercepted Russian communications part of the inquiry into Trump associates. It's unclear if the story was originally presented in that way online or if the New York Times changed it on purpose after Trump administration started talking about it this week. You know what? Um... I have a couple of clips that I was gonna that I was gonna play, but you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna run out of time. So, but this is this how I look at it. You know what? We know that that Mike Flynn was was wiretapped, and he made that call from Trump Tower. That in itself is evidence of something. Hey, anyway, I'm all out of time for this episode of uh, the main event. So uh, keep on thinking, everybody. Thanks for listening to the main event. My name's Ed Hoffman, and I'll be back again with you next week. The content in this program is not intended to be legal advice. The views expressed are those of Ed Hoffman and his invited guests and do not necessarily reflect the views or policies of Wholesale Capital Corporation. WCC is licensed by the California Bureau of Real Estate, broker license number 01147747, and California Finance Lenders license number 603K610. Also licensed in Arizona by the Arizona Department of Financial Institutions, MB number 096199.